Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. On today's show, we have Sean Forsey, an old friend of mine from the Progressive Property Masterclass. He is the co-founder of Nestwise Property Group and is a rapidly growing property entrepreneur. He is based in South Wales in a lovely little, I'd call it a village, being a Londoner. Um, and he, his company essentially provides service accommodation, management and sourcing, uh, investment, sourcing and refurbishment, hands off for investors and also builds their own portfolio. He has lots of tips and if you follow him on Facebook, you will have seen how quickly he is growing um, and expanding his business. Sean Forsey, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thanks Tej, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm I'm good mate. It's nice to, to catch up with you and, and hear your lovely accent again. It's been so long. <laughs> oh, thanks very much. Yeah, it's been a little while since we've met up and uh, spoken in person. It has actually. So for everyone listening, me and Sean and his um, lovely wife Alison met at the Masterclass, Progressive Masterclass in, I want to say the end of May. Am I right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, sure it is. And, and I walked in, you know, didn't know anyone, kind of usual thing, sat down next to these two and yeah, we just got on and pretty much spoke every day and I think we were all in the pub till late after every session. So yeah, we definitely spent quite a bit of time getting to know each other and, and um, all of us learning and being shocked at how amazing Wales is for investment. So, you know, for for people who don't know your story, and I think a lot of people might do actually, because you're quite active on Facebook, like what were you doing before property? Um, before property, I was actually um, a manager. So I've always been into sales, um, business to business, retail. Um, but the most recent role, I was probably the sales manager for Magnet Kitchens. Hmm, okay. And so you've kind of worked in a job for quite a lot of your life, right? What was your sort of defining moment that made you say, you know what, I want to quit this and, and do my own thing? Um, I think over the years, yeah, like you said, being employed uh, in a job for <laughs> for all these years has, has kind of taken its toll. And every few years I, I was changing jobs and not really settling down and being happy in them. Um, so it, it, with the defining moment for us was we were on holiday in Thailand last November and I read a great book by Rob Moore called Life Leverage. Um, that inspired me then to, to kind of look into it more and decide what we wanted to do uh, with the rest of our lives, really. And I'd uh, come towards the end of a renovation project for our own home and loved it so much that that's what we decided to kind of look into and pursue from there really starting in about january i would say wow so that's starting in january this year right yeah that's right yeah i know your your own renovation for your house is pretty funky you've got a tv in the shower am i right uh almost yeah it's in the bathroom so it's not it's not quite in the shower but it's in the bathroom you can lay in the jacuzzi bath and watch the tv next to you yeah i mean now that is living life right so... yeah yeah it's not not bad not bad at all yeah that's pretty cool and so you you started in kind of january and then what like, what did you kind of start with? How did you get going? Um, so in January, we would decided to uh, take some money out of the house that we'd renovated. So without really knowing that we'd done it, we created value in our current property. Mm. And 
decided to leverage that money then to buy a second property, which was on the same road. So <laughs> we, we bought that property then, and, and that's where it kind of started and stemmed from that one. Hmm. And then, so tell me about that first deal. What were the figures in terms of what did you buy it for? What did you refurb it? What was it reval? What does it rent out? Just so everyone can get a picture of kind of how you've really started. Yeah, sure. So it, it was a, a great bargain property that we found again by accident. So we hadn't been educated at this point. And it was on the market for 41,000, which was extremely um, cheap in terms of property and, and certainly seemed like a great bargain for the area. I, um, well, we went and viewed the property and I immediately offered 37 and it was accepted the same day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, that's a bargain on top of a bargain. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, why was it accepted? Like what was the reason for the seller being so motivated? So it was, um, a probate sale and mm -hmm. the, the vendor was a relative that was selling it, uh, on behalf of the estate and a sale had just fallen through, um, right at the point of exchange. So they, they were quite distressed. They wanted rid of the property, rid of the memories and, and were just happy to, to let somebody else have it as it were really. So, um, so yeah, we were just in the right place at the right time. Absolutely. So it's timing and, and sort of finding a motivated seller and really, you know, creating a win-win. They wanted out ASAP. You offered what you thought was valuable, and well, it worked. So yeah, um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And then so you bought that for about thirty-seven, and then what was it in a state, or was it kind of habitable? Um, it was habitable, um, although I wouldn't want to live in it myself. But it was <laughs> it was habitable. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all right. Yeah, wasn't too bad. And then, did you spend any money refurbishing it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it took quite a while for that sale to go through. Um, there were all sorts of small complications. It had never been registered with land registry, oh. um, which happens to about 5% of the properties in the UK. And of course, we picked one of those. So, <laughs> so that was a bit of, bit of bad luck to start with. But, you know, it just took longer to overcome. And we then, during the time we were waiting for it to go through legals, we we went to our first progressive event. So we learned a few things from the free courses and realized that we could refurbish it and then refinance, which was quite bizarre to us at the time. Mm. Um, so I think all in all, we've just come to the end of the refurb on that and, it, and we've spent around about £12,000. Okay, so 37 plus 12 brings us to about 49. My math is good. Um, Correct. How much is it going to be revalued at? So we've just put in for the refinance now um, at a figure we've been advised by local agents of 85,000. So that's a pretty big margin you've got there from what you've spent for to what the, the revalue is. Are you getting all your money out of this deal or is it some left in or? No, this will be complete, um, a complete BRR as we like to call it. So yeah, buy, wow. refuse, refinance, all our money back out. And a bit of profit, and, and yeah, some good cash flow as well. <laughs> wow! And so, how much will that cash flow a month? Um, so it's currently on the market at five hundred and fifty pounds a calendar month for the rent. We're mm -hmm. waiting for a tenant now. Um, they're just doing the first viewings this week. Wow. So I would say net cash flow will be around about three hundred. Okay, so that's that's comparable to say the West Midlands in terms of net cash flow, but your property prices are half or a third of what you kind of get up there. So yeah. why, you know, and I guess a lot of people from the masterclass would be wondering this as well. Why are property prices in Wales, in the part of Wales you're in so cheap, but the rentals are so good for the, for the price of the house? 
Um, a bit of a mystery to me, really, as to why there's such a disparity. But um, the rental prices, kind of between 400 and 600 on the majority of properties in the area. So that's whether they're, you know, whether you're fortunate enough to pick up one at 40,000 or whether you end up paying about 150,000. You don't really then go over sort of six six fifty if you're really pushing it on on the rentals. So yeah, if you buy cheap, you can rent them just as well. If you do a good refurb and have a nice finished product. Yeah. Okay. And whereabouts in Wales are you based? So I actually live in a, a town called Mystag. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just in the county of Bridgend, okay. halfway between Cardiff and Swansea. And what? kind of tenants do you expect to get or the agent said you usually get in this kind of area okay so we can expect still to get um working professional tenants mm-hmm. um they tend to be more trades people if you like or you know manual workers mm-hmm. um but certainly our agent is, is still providing vetted tenants with guarantors um who are working you know we will consider um uh, LHA tenants mm-hmm. um, but we don't need to go down that route if we don't want to yeah okay that's fair enough and so Sean when we met you were doing quite a few courses with Progressive you had different ideas I've seen you post about a, a, a really big service accommodation block like uh, when we first start out in property we're taught kind of have a strategy focus on one thing and I guess that goes with any business what is your sort of current strategy Okay, so I'm glad you touched on that. So, um, and we'll come to some other things at the end, but mm. I got caught up in, in all the shiny new things. So anything that was get coming across my, my lap, I was kind of, yeah, I'll look at this, I can package this, I can buy this. And, you know, you kind of jump around from one thing to another. So it took a little while to focus. Um, but we've truly focused now on building our own portfolio of single buy to lets um, we're also sourcing these for our investors, um, you know, doing a complete deal package in terms of sourcing, um, access to power team, the refurb, and then sorting out the letting or the sale at the end of the property. Um, our second strategy, and this is why Alison is coming on board as well, is going to be serviced accommodation. So we're going to use part of our portfolio, some of the single buy to lets we're going to use as service accommodation. And we're also focusing on one big service accommodation project, which is a new development for us. Okay. And what made you settle on kind of deal packaging, single lets and service accommodation? Um, I, I just think because because buy to let was the, the kind of easy entry level um strategy to go after to cut your teeth if you like and and learn your craft learn the refurbs learn how long things take and how much things cost it set us up in in the best possible way to ensure we knew what we were doing going forward and we knew what we were doing for our investors so by us learning by it then allowed us to confidently source them and get everything done for the investors to give them the best possible package if you like yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. You know, I'd love to package some HMOs and commercials and all this <laughs> thing, but I think they'll just come a bit later. We want to stick to the bread and butter right now. Yeah. And you know, if someone you know met you and said, "Oh, Sean, I love what you're doing. I want to be a deal packager as well." 
Mm-hmm. What would be your sort of initial advice to them? Um, I think truly you need to get the education to that level. So you have to get educated in deal packaging. And, and the reason for this is because there's a lot of things you need to be compliant with. So to ensure that you get full compliance, you're protected, your investors are protected, and then you can confidently go on and you know actively seek investment in a professional manner. Um, I think that's really the key to, to getting a start on it, if you like. Um, I would also say then, you know, picking up with with a mentor or someone who's done things before you and, and, and really kind of latching on and getting as much information as you possibly can. Okay. And when it comes to finding these deals, I know we touched on it kind of off mic, but it's one of these things which talked about a lot. There's a lot of talk of direct to vendor using agents, using this. What do you think has been your most successful way of finding deals, whether it's for yourself or for your investors? So, so far, we've done really well with um, local agents. And, you know, the key is to get out there and speaking with them and and meeting them, getting some viewings, then being honest and open about what you're trying to achieve and making sure they understand the strategies. So that that really has been the, the key to success for us so far. And um, yeah, yeah, just get out there and, and get to meet them. And, you know, let's let's talk about agents in a little bit more detail. They are... Um, there are a breed of, uh, of people that I think new property investors can get kind of scared of, can get kind of wary of in terms of, oh, are they going to believe me? Are they going to listen to me? Are they going to help me? There's quite a lot of worries that come with it, right? Um, what would be, you know, bits of advice that you could give to new people of how to become good friends with agents and how to build a strong sort of working relationship as well? Okay, so I started out... Um by meeting one local agent. So I, I went in and, and had a chat with him, explained exactly what we were doing and what we were trying to achieve. And then how could we help him? What does he struggle with? And uh, are there certain properties that, that he has difficulty in selling or certain areas that maybe would work for us? So it would be a win-win for both of us. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we, we also then said, well, look, have you got some time to, to show us around some properties just to give us some examples? Not so much as, you know, going out on an official viewing and, and making offers on that property, but just to get us used to each other, to spend time chatting out in other properties away from the office and yeah. really understanding that person and about what makes them tick. You know, do they want really low ball offers? So at least they've got offers. Do yeah. they? are they scared of the low ball offers and they don't want to put them across the vendors, you know? So just finding out everything you need to know about what that agent is looking to achieve in his role, because obviously he's got targets as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So really focusing on like building that kind of human connection with people in every aspect of any business really makes, makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You've got to focus on, on the person and, you know, silly things. We, I've gone in, I probably go in most weeks actually and take in biscuits or cakes and sit down and have a coffee, even if we're not talking about the deals that we've been looking at, but just to say hi and how you're doing and how is everybody else in the office and um, am I causing any issues? You know, is, is there any friction because of the amount of stuff I'm putting through them? Because a lot of our deals are through the same agent. Yeah. So I'm constantly, I feel like I'm always emailing them with questions, chasing up for ven- um, for purchases. So you know, I just want to make sure that, yeah, you've got the best relationship as people, not, not yeah. just in the business sense, you know? 
Yeah, no, that's that's a fantastic tip. And I think it's something we forget when we're kind of in business and working. We're very kind of focused on the work aspect and the business aspect. But you're being very sort of empathetic and you're, you're understanding the situation and just, again, just being a human, which, yeah, it, it definitely works, right? So um, talk me through like the latest deal that you've worked on that you've purchased for yourself. Um, we've got one going through right at the minute. So we're about two weeks away on that. And it's it's for a property we're going to use for serviced accommodation. Mm-hmm. And we, again, it's a, another probate property. We've done quite well out of these, to be honest. Yeah. And it was on the market for 70000 And we, we've actually been able to secure it at 54000 Wow. I know. It's a, it's a good one. Um, we, we've got a refurb to do on it. And we're going to spend about... I would say around about 12,000 on it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is going to be because we want to uh, add an extra bedroom uh, for service accommodation. Naturally, we want to do some sort of funky decor. So yeah, it's going to be a really nice property that then we can get it revalued, refinanced, get probably all of our money back out again. And then, onto an SA mortgage where we can then trial it for serviced accommodation in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of serviced accommodation in the area, but they're all different and the values are different. You know, you see it from 25 quid to 200 quid a night and it's just really difficult. So we want to trial it on this property and break the system, if you like, just to, to make sure we know what we're doing before we tackle the big one. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to serviced accommodation you know what would you say are you know going to be some of the challenges that you'll face in your area in particular with serviced accommodation because I know in London and Reading and Heathrow it's a case of maybe there's so much competition but in your area do you see any big challenges coming up um the the biggest my biggest fear if you like in this area is about um, is it going to be seasonal or not? Now our target market is definitely holiday makers mm-hmm. and people for short lets that are staying for um, use of the outdoor adventure sort of aspect of the area that we've picked it in, if you like. Mm-hmm. So yes, we may pick up some some corporate lets, but generally it's the it's the you know short stay typical holiday maker that we're looking at. So. How seasonal is that going to be? Now, if we were, you know, by a beach and we were looking at something like that, you'd think, yeah, you're only going to get accommodation in the summer. But this is it is in the forest and the mountains. So yeah. outdoor adventure sports and mountain biking and stuff like that is pretty much all year round. I can imagine being quieter in the in the winter months, but I'm I'm kind of waiting to see how that pans out in terms of the occupancy spread over the year. You know. Absolutely. And, you know, a question that's just sort of come into my head as I was I was thinking about what you've been talking about is that you've been getting these properties. And I know the other ones that you've also offered on and are working on. And, and from seeing your deal packaging emails, you're getting them generally quite a lot below sort of market value. Yeah. Is it a case of right place, right time, right situation? Or do you have a certain strategy or tactic or is it a combination of both? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both of those, really. I mean, yes, we do pick the ideal property. So when I'm searching through Rightmove or Zoopla, you can quickly identify which may be probate properties. Um, it's not too hard to spot them sometimes. But so, we, yes, we do hone in on those and go for those first. And that's where we've had most success. Um, 
I think as well that coupled with, you know, my 20 odd years in, in sales and negotiation have, have helped really. And, and again, the relationship with the agents, you know, so we don't fear now going in with low offers. The agent knows to expect them. Mm. Um, he's happy to convey that to the um, owner of the property that it's not a personal thing that we're offering. So such a low price, we're just, we are a business, we are investors and, that's the offer that it, we can go to to make it work for us. And if they don't accept it, it's not an issue. You know, it's there's nothing in that respect personal or, or we're not trying to insult anyone. But, yeah. um, you know, we're trying to make it a win-win for everyone. But So I think, yeah, a combination of, of all these things and, and my negotiation skills probably have helped, yeah. Oh, fantastic. And then another thing that I guess a lot of, uh, well, I guess any property investor would talk about is financing deals. So obviously we touched on your first one, you remortgage your property, took money out. By the sounds of things, you're getting most of your money back out of deals. So, you know, are you looking for investors to fund your own portfolios and to give them a percentage return? Or do you do that with your own cash and the investors are mainly for your deal packaging? Um, both really. So uh, we are looking for investment for our own portfolio. So people to invest in us and what we're trying to achieve, then we can offer them a fixed return. Um, we're getting most of the money back most of the time, but of course, each time you leave a little slice in maybe here and there, your pot soon diminishes. Yeah. So you want to try and um, keep a constant flow of investment. And we do, we are looking to scale our own portfolios because as you can imagine, all these deals that I, I pass out for investment, you know, if I could buy every single one of them myself, then yeah, we'd be laughing. <laughs> so, um, but you know, that's not always the case. But um, yeah, if we can get in investment for us, yeah, that'd be a plus. But always got investors for other, um, sorry, deals for other investors also. You know, as you've seen with the ones that we put out there. Yeah. And how do people respond to these deals? Because especially for you know, if you come from I don't know London, I mean, these deals are just that they're, they're so good. Um, and every time I see them, I just think, wow, there's you know, it just stacks. You know, are you getting quite a strong response? Are you getting people fighting over the deals? How's it kind of going? Um, yeah, we're, we're getting quite a strong response. We do get quite a lot of emails in and, and inquiries and messages. And pretty much every deal is sold within a, within a week, let's say, of, of putting it on there. Because by the time, you know, we people respond, we send out the package, they mull it over, they come back, they have a chat, and we go back and forth. And invariably, the, the deals that we have sold, every investor has sort of at least come down to the area. Yeah. We've taken them around and shown them around for, for a day and, you know, given them lunch in one of the local pubs just so they get a feel for the place, you know, because yeah. it, it's a beautiful area where we are. And they, they can't fail to be impressed by the location and the views and things like that that we show them. So it's really good that they come down and have a look. Um, and yet yeah, they're bowled over by it then when they see that location coupled with the house prices coupled with the demand and, and what we do. So I always take them to see one of the properties that we're refurbing and yeah, they're impressed by it. So, um, yeah, it works well for us so far. No, that's fantastic. I, um, I was going to say, I'd love to, to come down and see, cause I know I've seen your pictures on Facebook and I think one of your recent refurbs look really good, really modern, especially compared to what you know it was beforehand which was which was fairly outdated should i be in kind yeah. about it um, yeah and, and so you're obviously packaging the, the whole deal for people making it you know pretty hands-off um they just need to sort of provide the funds now how have you found and kept good tradespeople? okay so i think for us when we did our own renovation on our own home we kind of employed a tradesperson. They came in, they did some work, they left again. 
And we didn't really have an opportunity then to offer anything else to them. Um, but now then, with our um, portfolio building of our own and for other investors, we're able to keep them on board now because they know how much work we've got coming through all the time. So that then also allowed us to take on um, a full-time project manager, if you like. So he doesn't work for us, so he's not an employee, but we're the only person he works for, if that makes sense. Um, and, and yeah, having him on board, and then he knows a lot of trades, so he brings them in and gets it all right at the right times. And, yeah, he's got an even bigger network than we had at the time. So that's been key, really. Having the project manager definitely, definitely has helped no end. Wow. And so do you essentially get him in, brief him on what you want done, and then he does the rest he finds them he gets make sure they make sure that they do it correctly does all the kind of hard work and you just pay him and manage him is that kind of how it works exactly exactly that touch so um wow. yeah he he does everything he gets all the trades in yeah um, we're still buying the materials so he'll mm -hmm. come to me and say we need xyz and and i i source the materials and get make sure that they're delivered on time for him but yeah he deals with everything else the 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 trades coming in making sure that they get paid. So he comes to me and says, I've got to pay X, Y, Z for whoever it is. And then he, he deals with the quality and the standard of their work. Obviously, I go in on a, on a, you know, every couple of days or every week just to make sure that everybody's happy. And yeah, yeah, it's really, really hands-free for me now in terms of project management. Wow, so you've really leveraged it out to an expert who can just get on with it, you trust it to do it and, and will do the job correctly. So that's... Yeah, it's definitely leveraged lifestyle. I think Rob Moore would be proud. I'm sure he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was, it was a big step because um, having a, a project manager on board um, to that extent where you've got exclusivity to him, it, you can imagine it's cost quite a bit. But mm. so it was a bit unnerving at first thinking, wow, if I pay, commit to paying him X amount per week, what if I haven't got work or, you know, what what's going to happen? But yeah, I can't can't stress enough the, the power of outsourcing and what it's allowed me to get on and do then you know yeah and what other things do you outsource um what else do we outsource so we're just trialing now with um somebody else about outsourcing viewings and um you know literally going out on a block day of viewings viewing the properties assessing what refurbs that they might need so we're trying to train them up and see how that's going to work that will be outsourced. I've outsourced then as well um, some some bits and pieces to Fiverr to see how that works, you know, and, mm. and kind of test the system. I've never used it before. So we put out, like, for our logo, we put out there for some promo videos, which I haven't released yet. So that's exciting stuff to come. Um, yeah, so just doing little bits here and there just to test things. The biggest thing for me will obviously be now in the next couple of weeks, Alison's on board full-time, so she'll be doing a lot of the admin work which again then lets me go out and, and do the deals and, and source the investors if you like wow okay and that's you know doing viewings is one of those things where i think it's quite hard to think of outsourcing it because it's 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 the main decision on if you're going to put in money in a property but i guess it's about that trust and about knowing that look they're not going to get it 100 percent right but they might get it 95 percent right or 90 percent right so that's you know was there a mindset sort of barrier to get over there or were you were you easy with just outsourcing it what in terms of the uh, viewing properties yeah in terms of getting that kind of 
getting someone else to view that was it quite easy for you to just think you know what i'm gonna get someone trained up and do it or were you like oh i'm not sure um yeah you're right it was a bit hesitant but um it was actually my daughter that we've used to do that um well one of we have three (laughs) and and a son so this is daughter number one that showed a bit of an interest and um is interested in property has has a desire to maybe come on board full-time and work with us so we thought well how can how can how can we create an opening and um be able to teach her something that would also be useful for us so again is that win-win you know Hmm. so we arranged some viewings and I went with them and then I also then left them go on their own to some viewings and and yeah so far so good very enthusiastic and you know coming back with the right information and and using the checklist to to do the viewings so that we get an accurate report back taking photos you know it's it doesn't have to be difficult as long as you systemize it you know and they know exactly what you want to achieve no absolutely great advice and um Let's talk about branding and social media, because I think when you and me first met, you weren't heavily into branding or using Facebook or posting things about property. Am I right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I've only ever used Facebook to to see what people have had for their dinner, (laughs) which is the the classic use alongside cat cat pictures and and cute dogs. Yeah, Um, you got it. So and, and memes about life. So, you know, what made you think... I need to use this properly and I need to, you know, be consistent with it, which you have been. I think, um, again, that, that probably came from when I first started and seeing that there was this progressive community, if you like, and seeing how active that was and the mixture of all the different information that you could either put on or take off it. You know, I, I got a lot of advice and support from just the progressive community when I started and then started to expand that into my own Facebook. So my Facebook um, connections have grown probably from about 100, 150 before I even thought about property to almost 2,000 now. You know, it's, it's, wow. it's, gr- it's grown massively. Um, and that's pretty much been organic as well. You know, I haven't, um, you know, paid anybody else to, to go find me connections or anything like this. You know, it's, it's literally been from you know, building up from people giving me advice like yourself, you know, you advise me on what to do and how to brand yourself and and make sure that you're out there, you know, daily or, you know, every couple of days to make sure that you're in in contact with people. Absolutely. And how important do you think social media and branding is, you know, as someone in property, especially when you're trying to find finance, perhaps? Well, uh... It's a great example to say that so far, the only method I'm using is via Facebook. And that's where I found the investors I've got so far. So I haven't um, gone out there to networking meetings or progressive events or or anywhere else. All my Mm. deals have come via Facebook. Now, whether that's through the progressive community or other kind of property groups and pages on, on the on Facebook that I've got them, but they've all come via that portal, really. Wow. And something that a lot of people ask and get stuck on, and I think I think you and me might have discussed this as well, is what do I post? What do I talk about? So how do you generate content and decide what to, to talk about? Um, I kind of 
yeah, I did struggle at first. I, I was like, well, what am I supposed to say? You know, and, <laughs> and and sometimes you get caught up in putting all the positive things. So I did this, and I won this, and I bought this, and it's all going well. And yeah. and then you kind of think and and realize that people want to hear the whole story and and get some advice on when you may have gone wrong so that they don't. And you know, some tips and some little bits of nugget information that you know that you think others may not you know so the 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 content now comes quite easy in terms of right what are my top 10 tips for this what were my um what are my worst failures and you know just all these little bits of information uh, have really helped a lot of people and one little trick i learned um and this is a little tip for anyone else out there that's struggling with content is post a question even if you know the answer to the question mm-hmm so what that does then is obviously spurs conversation on and all different things come up in that conversation. So you get a lot of different points of view. If you thought you already know the answer, you might even change your opinion then by everybody else's answers. And of course, that helps a bigger number of people. And it gets more noticed than me just stating one fact. That is a very, very good point ask questions even that you know even when you know the answer to them um i've seen you do that i've seen others do it and it it works people like to answer questions <laughs> it's kind of weird yeah. as it sounds um yeah. good and um in terms of the investors you've you've got from from facebook alone have they mm-hmm. you know have they bought in enough that it's made the time you've put in on facebook worth it yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, they definitely have. So I've sold all the deals that I've wanted to sell, I've sold mm-hmm. via Facebook. So I've got my sourcing fee, my project management fees out of that. And um, all the investors I've dealt with so far have, have then also said that they'd be coming back for repeat business. So yeah, time invested versus the income from it, yeah, have been brilliant. Um, oh. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're going to get all the investment you ever need from Facebook. You know, yeah. you certainly still need to expand and that's the next part of our journey, if you like. No, great. And yeah, I saw that post today on Facebook, actually. There's only quite an interesting discussion going on in there about marketing funnels and, and which tactics to use. I, I threw my two pence in there as well. Um, <laughs> yes. And, you know, this is quite a broad question and I ask everyone this. So answer it how you will. What are your thoughts on the property market in your area? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very confident in the market in our area at the moment. Um, I did a bit of research into how long properties take to sell, how the agents are all performing in the area. There's a great website for that as well, which um, it escapes me at the minute, but I'm sure we can share it at some point. Yeah. And it allows us to analyze the agents and how they're performing and which agent performs best in terms of the best success rate, the best sale price achieved, the best um, time taken to sell, if you like. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, on average in our area at the moment, I know all agents are performing around about 40 to 45 days from putting a property on the market to actually getting an agreed sale. So okay. I think that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and we're happy with that in the area. I know our investors are certainly happy with that as well if they're looking to flip. In terms of the rental market, it's very buoyant. So there's not enough properties in the area for rent. Um, so we're doing very well with buy-to-lets. Wow. And 
you know, you're doing a lot, right? You're doing so many things and you're doing so much and you have a family and, you know, I always see your posts and I just wonder, you know, how is he managing it all? Like, what's your, I don't know, your mantra? Do you have a routine? Are you quite strict in blocking out time? Like, how do you manage to do all these things at the same time and still, you know, have a life? Um, right. Okay. So sadly I do not have a routine. It's something that I have to work on myself personally Mm -hmm. and I'm not a very routine person. Um, but I'm very dedicated and driven. So I spend a lot of time, um, sadly in front of the computer, making sure that I've responded to all my emails time in a timely manner. Mm. I've answered everybody's messages and phone calls and texts and messengers and PMs and DMs and all these different formats that information comes to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm super efficient on responding back. Um, if I put a Facebook post out there, um, I'm always quick to monitor that and make sure I respond quickly. Um, the, the challenge is then, I suppose, when you get towards the end of a day, whenever you decide that may be, is switching off. So from a, a, a work point of view, you know, we've all tried to get into this to get rid of the J-O-B. Mm-hmm. You've got to be careful not to turn it into a J-O-B. <laughs> so you, you've got to, yes, you've got to work hard to start with and you've got to set all this up and you've you've really got to be driven in terms of, you know, getting everything ready to succeed, if you like. And then at some point that the, the scales will tip and you'll start getting more and more of your time back. But it's very important to, to forget who, who else is important in your life, you know, partners and children and families and things, and making sure that you still allow time to to do the things you wanted to do and do the things you love. Hmm, great. And um, I saw a post in the uh, Progressive Community today from our mutual friend Josh, and it was about you quitting your job. Now, yeah. just briefly talk me through, because when we met, I remember you had a date in mind but then I, I feel like you, you quit it a lot earlier than planned. That's correct, yeah. So the date I had in mind was actually the 17th of August, which is literally just past last Friday. Um, what happened was I, I wanted to go 100 mile an hour in the property journey um, to set things up as quickly as possible. And I wasn't able to dedicate the amount of time I wanted to to property. And I felt that the job was actually holding me back if you like and I I just knew I could succeed if I just had that bit more time so I did make a a brave decision to break free from the job early Um, and and it's paid off for me now it it probably won't be for everyone uh, and I certainly don't recommend it to everyone it but it definitely worked for me okay well congratulations it's uh it's no easy feat quitting a job, especially a lot earlier than you thought. But I guess you you came to a point where it was a tipping point. It was either stay in the job, do it really slowly, maybe not do as well, or just get rid of the job, jump straight in, you know, and succeed essentially, right? Yeah, because, you know, when the day I came out of the job, I knew I had to succeed. You know, you're under even more pressure and mm. and, and you're even more driven then because, you know, that's what's going to pay the bills. So, Yes, you, it does push you. So if anyone's kind of thinking, shall I, shan't I, then think about um, if you do, it will make you go and work harder and allow you to do more things. So you will get to success quite quickly if you've got the time. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it, like I said, there's no right or wrong answer as to when or when you shouldn't leave a job, but just give it some thought. 
and and on that note of leaving a job sort of since you've left or since you've started in property has you know have the deals that you've done and the sort of deals you've packaged have they allowed you to have some form of uh income that could be considered financial freedom or are you still working your way there um let's see so the income i've had from the deals that i've sold so let's focus on that bit so the deal sourcing element of the business the income i've had from that has allowed has paid more than my salary would have so far okay um so my salary wasn't huge um but that has covered my salary if you like and and a little bit more so Mm -hmm. we're okay on that front in terms of monthly cash flow yeah but what it's also enabled me to do then is to um, secure a further two properties with investment, which will then, once refinanced and given the investors' money back, will also have me equity in those two properties, um, and that will amount to maybe about, let's just say, forty thousand um, as a as a rough idea. So, would I have had that otherwise? No, I wouldn't. So. Am I better off? Yes, I am, because I've got two properties with £40,000 worth of equity in. Mm. Um, That will also then give monthly cash flow from one, and from the other, we're going to use the serviced accommodation. So we don't know what that income is going to look like yet, but am I better off? Yeah, I am. Of course, I'm better off already. Yeah. Good. Fantastic. I'd love to hear that. Property has has changed your life, and it's it's continuing to do so, right? So good decision to quit your job, eh? Yeah. (laughs) So, Sean, unfortunately, this brings us to the last part of the show. This is the quickfire round. So I'm I'm going to ask you three questions and I want three sort of um, quick and short answers for each. So it's a three by three. You ready? OK, yeah, go for it. So what are the three biggest mistakes that you've made on your property journey? OK, so this is quite easy because I've thought about them a lot and tried to change it. So number one, I didn't focus quick enough. I didn't focus on what I wanted to achieve, what properties to go after. So that's number one, didn't focus. Mm-hmm. Number two, I would say it was not having the routine. So we spoke about this already, but I kind of didn't have a structure to my day. So no routine to follow. That was number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, my third one was I probably didn't get out there and network early on enough to allow me to scale quicker with investment. So, yes, we've been successful so far, but I should have done a bit more networking to, to, to scale up quicker. Okay. And then, you know, kind of similarly to that, what would be your top three tips for new property investors? Top three tips, right. Start something straight away. So get out there, do something, get started, um, especially with estate agents. Speak to them early on, get an understanding. Get out there, start something. Number two, um, I would say leverage others, um, whether it be for time, for money, for expertise, whatever that may be, and outsource as soon as possible, even before you think you need it. Number three, get a routine because I didn't. Okay, fantastic. And then a more personal one, what are your top three goals for the future? Short-term, mid-term, long-term, whatever you want to go with. Um, I think our first three goals that we're looking at at the moment is trying to systemize and make it as hands-free as possible in certain areas of the business so it will allow me to go out and find further investors. Mm-hmm. Um, the second part probably what everybody's looking for and that's financial freedom mm-hmm. um alison's given up her job 
um, and she's sort of out of that in about three weeks. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure then that we add a little bit more of our monthly cash flow to, to make us financially free, if you like. Um, mm. Our third one then, my, my goal is to actually mentor others. And, mm. and, I, and I toyed with it. It was, do I want to coach? Do I want to mentor? Do I want to train? What do I want to do? And I come to the conclusion it's actually to mentor. Okay, cool. Um, well, Lucian, that's, I think this, is, this has been a great chat. I've learned a lot and it's good to kind of speak to you again and understand your story and see how quickly you've progressed from, you know, sort of the the bunch of education classes you were doing and courses to selling deals and, you know, selling enough to live off and and being quite, you know, I'd say you're quite well known in your area with the right people, i.e. agents and tradesmen. So well done on your progress. It's, It's fantastic. Yeah, thanks, Tedge. Um, yeah, we've we've really enjoyed the journey so far, and I, I can't recommend it enough to anyone thinking of getting into property. Amazing. Well, Sean, thank you so much for your time. I know you're uh, you're running at a hundred miles an hour at the moment, so uh, I'll I'll let you get back. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll uh, we'll speak soon. Yeah, definitely, Tedge. Uh, no doubt we'll catch up at some point very soon. Perfect. If you like this podcast, connect with Tedge on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.